You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Morning. What beautiful weather. If you're here with us this morning, we actually had our class outside. If you missed out, we had like sausage casserole and coffee and homemade muff, uh, bi- biscuits and bananas. It was unbelievable. If you, uh, and it's actually a super helpful context for us as we come into this worship setting to have already been thinking about the teachings of Jesus, the goodwill of God. It's been really stimulating. If you um, don't know about this catechism hour that we have at the church, it's wonderful. You should join us, but just don't join us next week um, because we won't be having it, um, but the following week. And just as before we move on any further, um, just so you know, next week is our, uh, our church retreat, our parish retreat, and worship will not be here. It will be at the retreat. So if you'd like to join us, you may, but tomorrow morning there will be no uh, 10 a.m. worship service here in this place. Well, uh, we continue in our third week in the book of Hebrews in a study called Christ is Greater. And uh, as Mr. Fulton pointed out, preaching in Hebrews is a rather ambitious thing to do because it's so beautiful and majestic and dense and complex um, and yet so wonderful. Such good news is being given to us if we have ears to hear it in the letter of Hebrews. There's so many Jewish references in the book of Hebrews, even in our table group as we we're discussing it. Just to come at this one simple point at the end of chapter 4, um, you have this entire lead up of this, the Jewish background, the stories that are being referenced. There's so much uh, to, to going on in just the storyline of Hebrews for us to understand what the writer is saying. But with all its complexities, if we can spend some unhurried time, not being intimidated and blown away by it, but spending some unhurried time with these passages, it gives us a fresh look at God's Messiah, maybe in ways that you haven't quite seen it before, his anointed rescuer for us, which is the most central mystery of the Christian faith. There is nothing more central than coming into a better view of Jesus, God's Messiah for us. In him, and this is why, friends, you have an advocate like none other. You have a friend like none other. You have someone who is for you, who sympathizes with your brokenness, who actually gets what you're going through, the depths of it, even deeper still, he understands, who comes to bring healing in your life, who purifies your sins by his death, who gives us grace in our time of need, Jesus, there's no one like him. And you get this picture. That's even just to chapter four right there, everything I just mentioned. We have another chapter ahead of us. This is this beautiful picture that is building about who it is that Christ is for us. And I invite you, if you can spend some of that unhurried time waiting through Hebrews with us, whether in your table groups or alone or even in our catechism class, bringing up questions and conversations, you will find that as you come closer to this understanding of Jesus, your life will be renovated. Your life will be warmed and made new as we come close to him. So I invite you to continue to study with us. Wherever you are this morning, I hope that you hear all of this, not as just like religious platitudes or rhetoric, but genuinely this picture of Jesus is a relief to us. It should be. If we see him rightly, Jesus is genuinely good news. A relief. We can almost feel it in our bones who Jesus is this great hope that we have. 
And you know that you're seeing him right when you can't help but smile or cry or be warmed by just how amazing God's love is for you personally when you see Jesus. This week, we continue to dig into who it is that Christ is exactly. As this one who stands in the gap for us, as scripture calls it, a high priest. We saw this in some of chapter four and and continue in chapter five, this image of Jesus as a high priest. And at first glance, we must think, uh, that's like a Jewish reference. Like, I don't know what that's about. Let's just move on to chapter six. But hold on a second. There's something really beautiful in this picture of Jesus as this one who mediates for us, that advocates for us, that stands in the gap that we are unable to stand in ourselves between us and God over this great distance that sin has wedged between our life and the good life in relationship with God. The high priest is the one who is called out on behalf of God's people to enter into God's presence and to offer sacrifices in the most holy of spaces in the nation of Israel, in the temple, to make right between people and God that which we have damaged, that which we have brought division to. The high priest is the one to come about making reconciliation for that which has been torn apart. You even see some of this, honestly, even in the room when we laid this out. You see um, the way we use our bodies, the way we're telling this story of the gospel in the way that the, the room architecture is even laid out. If the table is the image of our reconciliation with the Father, then you coming to the table, table happens no other way than being baptized in Jesus' death and his resurrection and him coming into your aisle and grabbing you by the hand and saying, come with me. Um, let me show you the reconciliation of God. This is our holy of holies where all is made right, and it's only because of Jesus. So even Jesus as the high priest, this temple image that we're, we're um, holding up today, we see this even at the altar that we have before us. You can keep that in mind. Well, as, a, as an idea of a priest, I haven't, you know, I haven't always been a priest. You didn't know this. Um, I, at one point, was a computer engineer. I have like a very complex background other than being a priest. Um, and I was thinking about this Uh, this week. And when I was a teenager, I lived in Turkey, the country, if you guys know where that is, Mediterranean, on a military base where there wasn't much to do other than skating and swimming. And it was often like 110 degrees, 100% humidity. But I was a teenager, so it didn't really phase us. And we were still outside. Um, But when we would skate, the military police, they didn't like the way that we would like skate all over government property and ruin things, which I totally get. And so when we got kicked out of places, um, we got, uh, you know, the cops would come and like, you know, and we would have our spokesperson be like, look, let me do the talking. All of you guys be quiet. That mediator, right? They would come and talk to the police. Well, usually um, this would happen with the smartest person in the bunch. This Pat O'Donnell would be the guy who would, hold on, let me talk, guys. You guys be quiet because we were idiots. And one day, we had this really amazing idea. What if instead of ruining all this government property, we just asked the government to build us a skate park? And so this idea, I don't know how this happened, but basically there was this invitation to come and speak to all these high-ranking, like generals and colonels in this boardroom kind of space in like the headquarters building that we all knew you'd never skate there because that was like the holy of holies for the military base. Don't touch that. And so uh, we had to send someone to go and make this, this proposition, this idea. So you would send Pat O'Donnell, our buddy. 
but he didn't want to do it, so I had to go. I was the backup. And so this was the first time, I think maybe early on, maybe not the first time, but a very significant time in which I found myself mediating and advocating for the needs of my friends. Kind of in a a hint of priesthood, you might say, that I would have for the rest of my life. It was kind of like this in the Jewish tradition where they would send one out to go and like make things right, to represent the needs of the people or to, to even reconcile the wrongs of the people before God. And being in that room, um, I, could still, I could still see it. I could still smell it. There was something that for me, it was, I was out of place. I had my best suit on, but I was just a kid and I had jeans and I just didn't, I didn't have the military thing going on and didn't have the haircut, you know, that military folks have. I was out of place and yet um, was kind of shoved into it by my friends to kind of bring voice to the needs of our, my friends on behalf of these high-ranking people. I was out of place. It's, I think that's probably what high priests, even though they had all the robes and the experience, I bet they still felt a little bit out of place coming into the Holy of Holies, into the temple on behalf of the people. He would enter in this most holy of place and mediate between God and humanity, all of humanity particularly God's people, Israel, as an instrument of reconciliation. What the author is showing us here at Hebrews, what he's bringing to a point, are the kind of qualifications that you would have and expect in someone you're pushing forward to be this person who goes on behalf of the people. This poor soul is being shoved out in front of the pack. In verse 1, there's three qualifications. In verse 1, we see the high priest wasn't someone who was self-appointed. The person who's like, I'll do it, let me do it. Probably not the right guy to go do it. He is not self-appointed, but this person is called by God to be a high priest. Second, in verse 2, this high priest wasn't to be cruel or judgmental, but gentle and sympathetic, remembering that he too had sin as well. Being a high priest doesn't make you something special or without sin, not at all. And number three, the high priest wasn't to take honor for himself, but only when called by God. Being in this role of mediator as a priest wasn't some like amazing status that made you have no sin or even made you better than others or even gave you more honors, more honor than other people had. But instead, it was actually something that God had graced upon people who did not deserve it to come into his presence and to reconcile with him. Now, considering all of these three things that the high priest is, the author turns and looks at who Christ is now in comparison. Christ is all of these things. Except, huge difference, he had no sin of his own. He didn't appoint himself. He wasn't cruel or judgmental to those who were lost. He didn't, Jesus Christ didn't even take honor for himself. But instead, verse 7 says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse eight, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The way that Christ served for us as a high priest, I think sometimes we often think of, he just kind of, it just clicked on for him and it was smooth sailing. Well, that's Jesus, but 
That no, nobody else could, I mean, that's, that's just Jesus. He's a special exception. But actually scripture is telling us that Jesus served as a high priest for us through great agony and lament. He learned obedience through suffering, a very costly obedience, you might say. Even to the point of death on a cross, Jesus was willing to submit to the will of the Father and obey. And for what? Jesus. Think about this. The second person of the Holy Trinity, possessing all wealth and glory and honor, setting all of that aside to be humbled for our sake, that he could come for us and do what we could not do for ourselves, that he would be that soul who is stepping out in front of the pack to make things right between us and God, that he would be our mediator, our friend, and the sacrifice that would atone for the sin of the world. It's exactly through his self-sacrificing act of love that he became the source, verse nine says, of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Whatever it is that you need rescuing from this morning, friends, whatever sin or burden of guilt, however lost you feel, however alone you may feel, whatever excuse or obstacle or thing that stands in the way of you being made right in your relationship with God, whatever that is, you cannot overcome that on your own. There's no sort of like religious gymnastics that you're gonna do to, to work around that. But you've gotta hear this. Can you hear this for this this morning? The good news is that despite all of those obstacles, despite even the guilt and the lostness and the loneliness and the burdens that you feel this morning, Christ is greater than all of those things. And in fact, not just in talk, but in action. In a very costly way, Christ has demonstrated that he is greater by coming himself, overcoming all of those obstacles in your behalf, grabbing you by the hand and bringing you into the presence of God. And only Christ could do that. And this, and for no other reason, is the reason that Christ is our high priest and there is no one like him. He is greater than anything that separates us from the life of God. Christ is also greater than the ways that we try to mediate God with God on our own. You know, the, the kind of religious bartering that we do? God, and I do this when I'm super, super sick and like throwing up or something and I'm miserable and like, God, if you just heal me, I'll like listen to you or something stupid like that. You know, when you're in your worst moments and you make these deals with God, if you just give me this, then I'll do that. It doesn't work, does it? And it's kind of, even when it comes to the ears of God, it's probably kind of silly. He probably kind of chuckles about it. Like, what are you, you're just like sick, okay, Sean? Like, stop being so dramatic. It doesn't work. And you know what, friends? It doesn't need to work. Praise God, because Christ has fractured that entire economy of exchange where we have to give something to him before he gives something to us. That whole system that we've constructed in our heads, Christ has blown to bits because he is our high priest. So take the pressure off just for a moment and hear the gospel super cleanly and crisp like the air outside this morning. You're not the greatest thing that has ever happened to the world. You're not God's gift to humanity. 
you're not capable of overcoming all the things that you have facing you this morning? That doesn't sound like good news. Hold on. But Christ is. He's greater. Christ is actually God's gift to humanity. That's why worship doesn't center around our needs. Sean, this whole get up, this is like strange, bro. What is this about? You know what would make me feel a lot more comfortable? Let me just stop you right there. Like, do you think I feel super comfortable? This is not about me and it's not about you. This whole room is screaming that this is all about Christ and not about our needs and not about our self-centered ambitions, not about anything really that has to do with us other than Christ coming to retrieve us and bring us into the beauty and the goodness and in relationship with God. That's what this whole thing is about. And we go at length to make that visible, not to be stuffy like 17th century kind of Northern European dress, but actually all of this is like this effort to, to in, through beauty, show us the reality of what Christ has done for us his love for us, his grace for us. Christ is our high priest. And so our Christian faith, it doesn't need to fulfill our wish list. It doesn't need to meet all of our needs immediately and right now because Christ as our high priest has a whole wish list for us that's way better than ours. And he has a whole different timing oftentimes that doesn't, quite jive with ours either, right? Jesus is actually here and present, and this is his world, and he has an agenda, and he's setting things right in only the way that he can. Thank God this isn't up for us, something we can participate in, but this is all about him as our high priest. We don't have to be that high priest, and in fact, we can't. Jesus as our high priest is the source of all goodness and beauty and truth. All of the things that the world is groaning and longing for is Jesus. And he's ushering all of those things, all of that wealth of grace and mercy and beauty and goodness and truth, he is ushering that into the world for our sake. So if you're into any of those things that I just listed, goodness, beauty, truth, mercy, kindness, friendship, community, If you're into any of those things, you're into Christ, believe it or not. Maybe you didn't even know that. But those are all just attributions of the person that Jesus is as our high priest. But this isn't something, and lastly, that that isn't costly. This isn't something that Jesus kind of can flip a switch and is super easy, didn't cost him anything. This came at such great cost for us as a high priest. He didn't, he didn't just step into this role and everything was set. He actually, through great suffering, through his own life, through his own obedience, through his own reverence to the Father, has made a way for us at great cost where there seemed to be no other way on our own. And he did it without sin, without any of his own sin. But listen, Scripture says, the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Recognize this from Isaiah 53, our disfigurements, not his, all the things wrong with us. This is the way Eugene Peterson writes it in the message. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for our own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. 
We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him, on him. Have you ever wondered how this all happened? That even before we were aware of our need of the grace of God, it was already underway. It was already accomplished for us. It's like, honestly, when you think, if we could just zoom out for a second, Jesus as our high priest has kind of come out of nowhere. Where did this even come from? It's like when they mentioned, did you notice twice, the order of Melchizedek? What in the world is that? Well, there's this super obscure figure in the time of Abraham that appeared out of nowhere and offered bread and wine at an altar and was basically never heard from again. Some super mysterious priesthood out of nowhere. You can see how Jesus being in this order of priests connects with this out of nowhereness. It's not like the Levitical priesthood. It's not some lineage that you can so easily trace. Jesus being revealed from God himself as God himself, entering into our reality almost as if out of nowhere to offer bread and wine that is his own body and blood. He took our wandering and sin into himself and fractured the entire arrangement that death had on us. This out of nowhere, order of Melchizedek, Christ our high priest for us. Now you might be tempted to think that this gift this morning, it just seems too good to be true. Uh, it's come out of nowhere. Is it really possible that God loves me this way? You might be tempted to think that this gift isn't for you. Or maybe you think this gift sounds great, Sean, but um, I'm an educated person, so it doesn't stand up to my intellectual scrutiny. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you. Even without this making sense to you, it's still offered to you. It still is. Even if it doesn't fit in your compartments intellectually, or maybe as you go into the world this week, this is one of those things you just kind of hang on the shelf and go, it's a great idea, but it doesn't function in my life in any way. Even still, it's offered to you. Even still, it's true. Even when we don't understand the gift that the high priest Christ gives to us, it's still true and it still operates in our lives. It can. Even with our doubts and our burdens, there's faith. And this is how we respond. God, I don't know how you're going to fix this. God, I don't know how you're going to overcome this thing in my life. God, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this that I have to do this week. And it's exactly where our high priest welcomes us and operates in faith. As if to say, you know, there's not really much intellectual gymnastics that you need to do here. There's not really some sort of like best behavior that I'm going to need from you to be effective. No, it's not the way grace works. Over and against us, despite us oftentimes, this wonderful gift that our high priest offers to us is true and it takes effect in our life, even despite us. And all we have to do is stand in faith and say, Jesus, our high priest, come quickly. God's mercies are new and fresh for us this morning. This kind of grace 
that we see offered in Jesus, our high priest, is offered to you, friends, this morning again. And not in some sentimental way, but in a way that's going to make you feel really uncomfortable. By coming forward, only being drawn by the hand of God to this place of reconciliation at the altar and given something that stands just outside of your intellectual ability to make sense of in bread and wine. And you know you're operating in faith when you receive this thing and think, what is this? Is it possible that God has moved outside of the realm of heaven, outside of the realm of just intellect, outside of the realm of just my affections and has now actually moved into material presence in my own life? Is it possible? I don't understand. I don't know if I can understand this or believe this. And yet that grace still abides and comes at us and relents, doesn't relent to actually find us and access us and heal us. And for no other reason than to draw us closer into the life of God, which is actually where we find the end of life, all of our desires, all of our hopes fulfilled, coming close to God. That's what we do this morning. And as we do, I want to invite us to take a moment of silence as we prepare our hearts to come into the presence of God with boldness in faith, not resting on our own ability to intellectualize or behavior manage our way into goodness with God, but only taking the hand of our high priest, Christ, who's ready to forgive our sins and reconcile us with the Father. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.